This evening, we have the privilege again of hearing Dr. Woodrow Crowell, the president and senior Bible teacher for Back to the Bible broadcast. In the 72-year history, Dr. Crowell is only the third Bible teacher. He has now been with Back to the Bible for 21 years. Let's welcome Dr. Woodrow Crowell to our pulpit again this evening. Thank you so much. Good evening. evening. Now, be honest. Did you get a nap this afternoon? I hope so, because that's the only way you'll stay awake tonight. That's... uh, It is a joy to be here. Thank you for coming back this evening. At lunch today, Pastor Davey and uh, Pastor Berghoff uh, asked me if I would do something I ordinarily do in a service, but didn't do today. So let me tell you, uh, I grew up in western Pennsylvania, and my father pastored two small churches. Uh, The large church was about 125 people. The smaller church, half of that. My uh, brother and I and my mother and father would go to one church and do Sunday school and the morning service. Then we would drive seven miles down the road and go to the second church and do Sunday school and the morning service. So when I was a boy growing up, I got in four Sunday services every Sunday before noon. Then in the afternoon, we always went to, I don't know why they call it, an old folks' home. Seems pretty normal to me now, but uh, we always went... We always went to an old folks' home for an afternoon service. Then there was a youth group in the evening and the Sunday evening service and something called afterglow. I never really did understand that. But nonetheless, I got a lot of church in on Sunday. Well, when I got to the second church, the smaller of the two, I'd already heard the Sunday school lesson. I'd already heard the message. So I found myself as a little boy, I found my mind wandering in that second service, you know. And it was just a tiny church that would hold about 50 to 75 people. And somebody got the bright idea to put all the little boys in a Sunday school class back in the corner and all the little girls in a Sunday school class on the platform and the adults between us, apparently to keep us apart. Well, I would sit there on Sunday morning having already heard the Sunday school lesson, and I would let my mind wander. And one day... My mind wandered to these little girls up on the platform up here. And I looked at this one little girl, and I said to myself, now maybe that's the girl I'll marry someday. I'd like to introduce her to you. Linda, would you stand, please? This... um, This is that little girl, and uh, we have now been married 92 years, and (laughs) seems like too many, but 46 for me and 46 for her. Just seems longer for her, that's all. Well, it is a joy to be here. I want to take you to a just a delightful story, a, a rather odd story, but delightful story in the New Testament that teaches us, I think, one of the most important lessons the church in America can learn tonight. The story is found in Mark chapter 5. Now it's recorded in Luke as well, but Mark chapter 5 is the story of Jesus and the Gergesene or the Gerasene the demoniac. 
the man who was with demons and lived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, this story is one of the most unusual stories I've ever seen. And it is also one of the most usual stories I've ever seen. So it has the character of being unusual while it's being very usual. Let me explain what I mean. You have a Bible in front of you, Mark chapter 5. Let me begin to read. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. Now, let me stop there because this is a pretty unusual place for Jesus to engage in ministry. You see that expression, the other side of the sea? The Sea of Galilee is kind of like an inverted harp. It's wider at the top, narrower at the bottom. Capernaum is the major city in Galilee, and it's at the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. On the west side of the Sea of Galilee is Tiberias. On the south, the Jordan exits the Sea of Galilee and goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. But on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, that's the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Nobody goes to the other side because they're crazy people over there. And we're going to see one of them in this story. So for Jesus to go to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes, that's a pretty unusual place for ministry to take place. We're actually talking about just a little place about six miles or so southeast of the city of Capernaum. Every time I go to Israel, I've gone to Israel and taken people with me every year since 1964. And every time I go, this is one of the stops I love to make because I love this story so much. Usually get out and let people look down over the cliff and see where the pigs ran down into the water. Well, let me continue with the story. Verse 2, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Now, the reason the man is in this condition is he is demon-possessed. But notice where he lives. He lives in the tombs that are on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, there are many uh, rock-cut tombs in that part of the country. There are many caves in that part of the country. And apparently, a a whole colony of demon-possessed people lived over there because the mainstream of society did not want them as a part of their society. So they all lived on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Everybody else lived on the north the west or the south, you did not go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And yet Jesus does. And isn't it interesting? It says immediately when he got out of the boat, the man from the tombs ran down to the edge of the water to meet the Lord Jesus. Now I want to talk about this unclean spirit that he has here, verse 2, for just a minute, because the word unclean uh, doesn't just mean a, a demon, even though it is a demon, it means morally filthy. This is a demon that had a potty mouth, if you will. This is a demon that morally caused the man to say things that were absolutely despicable and disgusting. Uh, Matthew chapter 8 records the same event. Verse 28 describes him as exceedingly fierce. 
Apparently, the demon-possessed man ran down to the shores. Every time a ship would wander off course or come to that side of the Sea of Galilee, these demon-possessed people would run down to the shore to greet the ship. Now, they weren't there to sell trinkets to the people who wandered offshore. I think they were there to just scare the heebie-jeebies out of them, you know? Run right down and spook them and uh, yell and shout and do all kinds of things. And they were pretty used to doing that. That's why when Jesus got to the other shore, they immediately ran down to the boat. This is a pretty unusual place for Jesus to conduct his ministry. But then Jesus has a pretty unusual encounter with this demon-possessed man. Let me come back to verse 4, where it says, He often had been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces. No one was strong enough even to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and the mountains and gashing himself with stones, cutting himself, screaming, living in graveyards, pathetic man, possessed with demons. No one would mainstream him in society. In fact, nobody wanted to deal with people like this. But I think Jesus went over there specifically to deal with people like this. So he has this strange encounter, unusual encounter with this man. When the demon saw Jesus, notice this in verse 6, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. Now, I don't want that to slide by you too quickly. Because to bow down in Scripture is the same word as to worship in Scripture. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for worship is the word shaka. And every time the word is used, you will find the person of whom it is used flat on his face before the Lord God. See, worship in the Old Testament was very different from much of our worship today. Uh, We have kind of lumped praise and worship together as if they were the same thing. They are clearly not the same thing. Praise is always up. Worship is always down. Holy hands to the Lord up. Face to the ground down. That's the worship that took place in the Old Testament. And that's exactly what's happening here. As soon as the demon sees it's Jesus... Rather than do the normal thing he would do when a boat came to that side of the Sea of Galilee, he fell flat on his face in worship of Jesus. This is a demon-possessed man. By the way, the word that's used there for falling down before him is exactly the same word used in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, when the wise men came to Jerusalem and they asked Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For you have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. That's the same word. So the demon sees Jesus, and the demon does what he unusually would never have done. This is not a very, very common story. Jesus is in an unusual place. The demon is doing an unusual thing when he meets Jesus. And then something happens. The demon recognizes Jesus for who he is. Look at this, verse 7. 
back up, verse 6. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, this is not the man talking to Jesus, you understand. This is the demon inside the man talking to Jesus. And the demon recognizes who Jesus is. He calls Jesus Son of the Most High God. I find it amazing that this demon seems to know more about Jesus than a lot of liberal theologians do today. Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. And he says to him, don't torment me. In other of the Gospels, it says, don't cast me into the abyss, the bottomless pit, because the demons know what their future is. And when they saw Jesus, this demon says, don't cast me into the bottomless pit now, because it's not my time. Don't torment me now. He's begging Jesus in his worship not to do what ultimately he knows Jesus must do. Now, at this point, I want you to see just how horrible it would be for a demon to possess a man. Not only does the demon recognize Jesus here. Put your hand there in Mark chapter 5. Go back just a couple of pages to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 at verse 21. Mark 2, 21, he says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it. The new from the old, the worse tear results. Then verse 23. Now what happened is he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along the picking of the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus was constantly encountering people who were questioning why he had authority to do what he had to do. And the demons here and the demons that we see in Mark chapter 5 question whether or not it is legitimate for Jesus at this point to cast them into the eternal pit prepared for Satan and his angels. Well, this is a pretty unusual event. That's why I say I love this story so much. There's just so much about it that's unusual. Now look with me, Mark chapter 5 at verse 8. But he, that's Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, every time Jesus casts a demon out of a person, he commands the demon to come out. And the demon comes out. Because the demons recognize the authority of Jesus, even though people today don't recognize that authority. Clearly, the demons did. And when he cast the demon out, asked him to come out, look at verse 9. He was asking, what is your name? Isn't that an unusual question? I mean, why ask his name? Well, names give purpose to people. Names give identity to people. Names give authority to people. When you do something in the name of a particular person, you do it in the authority of that person. One of the things I notice at Back to the Bible is every now and then one of our employees will say to others, uh, take this down here and put it in that room. That's what Dr. Kroll wants. I may have no clue what they're even talking about. But it's easy to use the authority of a person's name to get things done. And Jesus says, what is your name? He questions the demon as to what his name is. 
Look at the response. And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. Not just one demon, but many demons. Now, I don't know that we're to take this literally. A Roman legion consisted of 6,000 men. I don't know that we should think there were 6,000 demons inside this man, but I do know this. There were, more, there were a lot of demons, more than one, certainly. So when he answers, what is your name? He says, my name is Legion, because there's more of one, more than one of me in here. Now, just think how pathetic this man's life must have been. He could never go to Tiberias. He could never go to Jerusalem. He could never go to the population centers of Israel. He could never have social interaction with other people. He was demon-possessed. He was banned from Capernaum. He was banned from Tiberias. He had to live on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He had to live in caves. He was possessed by more than one demon who controlled his life. He was absolutely pathetic. until he met Jesus. And when you meet Jesus in a very meaningful way, a personal way, it changes everything in your life. Well, that's what we see in this story. Look at the unusual question. What is your name? Pretty unusual answer. My name is Legion, for we are many. And then there is this unusual request made by the demon. Look what he says. Verse 10, and he began to implore him, Jesus, earnestly not to send them out of the country. Okay, so Jesus asks an unusual question. What's your name? The demon asks an unusual thing. Please don't send us out of this region, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. See, the demons don't care that they're in the man. They just care that Jesus doesn't send them someplace else because they are very comfortable living in those caves. They're very comfortable living in the people who lived in those caves. They're very comfortable having these people break their shackles and their chains and cut themselves. They're very comfortable on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So their only request is, don't send us away from this part of the world pretty unusual. (laughs) Well, the response to Jesus is equally unusual. Look at verse 11. Now, there was a huge herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. Now, when you're in this part of the country, one of the things you'll see very quickly is east of the Sea of Galilee is a mountainous region. It's the Golan Heights that you're familiar with. And there's today a road that runs along the base of the Golan Heights. And from that road, the land drops dead away, I mean straight down into the Sea of Galilee. So when it talks here about there being a mountain, he's talking about the mountains even further east than these demons are right now. So it says, we implore you, don't send us out of the country. There is a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. <laughs> now, I told you this is an unusual story. You got everything in this story you got pigs, you got demons, you got crazy people, you got disciples. 
What else do you need? And, and the demons say, don't send us out of this part of the country. See that herd of pigs up there on the mountain? Send us into those pigs. Now, I've got to tell you, that would not have been my first choice as a demon. But that's exactly what they ask. And I want you to be very clear about this. It was not Jesus' idea to send the demons into the pigs. The demons asked to be sent into the pigs. He simply gave permission for them to do so. Sometimes Jesus is criticized here by people who don't have a great deal of sense because they say, well, what ethical justification does he have to ruin a farmer's livelihood by sending these pigs into the sea? He didn't send them into the sea. Besides that, what's this farmer doing with pigs anyway? This is still a part of Israel, even though it's the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He shouldn't have been raising pigs in the first place. But the pigs say, the the demons say, send us into the herd of swine. Well, verse 13 says, Jesus gave permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to have been there that day? 2,000 pigs possessed by a legion of demons running headlong down into the Sea of Galilee, drowning in the sea. You know, pigs float. It must have been quite a sight to see 2,000 pigs floating on the Sea of Galilee, infested with demons. This, by the way, is the first case of deviled ham in the world. (laughs) You ever say something and immediately wish you hadn't? (laughs) Well, this is pretty unusual. 2,000 pigs, demon-possessed pigs, running down the slopes into the sea, and there they drowned. I told you this was a very unusual story. Everything we have seen in this story so far has been incredibly unusual. It's an unusual place, the other side of the sea. It's an unusual man, scarring himself, living in tombs, possessed with a legion of uh, demons. It's an unusual event because the demons leave the man, go into the pigs, they run down to the sea and they're drowned. All of this is incredibly unusual. What you find in the midst of the incredibly unusual is Jesus who can make sense out of all of it. Not on how unusual your life is. I'm hoping you're not dealing with issues like this. But I do want you to know this. Whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever unusual events of your life are taking place right now, Jesus can make sense of the unusual things that happen in your life. And you know what those things are. I don't. I don't need to know. But you know. And only Jesus can make sense of the unusual events that take place in our lives. So we've seen here in Mark chapter 5, Essentially half of the story of the swine filled with demons. And it's a very, very unusual story. Well, at this point, verse 15, 
in the story of the swine and the demons, something happens that's different from everything else we've seen in the story of these pigs. Jesus comes to the other side of the sea. He encounters a man who is possessed of demons. The man answers, the demons in the man answer Jesus and say, don't send us out of this country. So Jesus gives permission for the demons to go into a herd of swine. The herd of swine rush down the slope into the Sea of Galilee, and there they drown. But at verse 15 of Mark chapter 5, there is a dramatic change in this story. Whereas everything to this point has been unusual, from now on, everything will be very usual. What happens from this point on is exactly what you would expect to happen. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Now, the they in this passage are all the townsfolks, the people who lived in the neighboring village. And they'd become pretty much accustomed to these crazy people running around, demon-possessed people. So they didn't pay much attention to them. But suddenly, the demons are no longer in the people, they're in the pigs. And the people come out from the town to see 2,000 pigs floating on the Sea of Galilee. Now, let's, let's be easy on these people. If you lived in a, kind of an out-of-the-way little village... And somebody came into town and said, by the way, there are 2,000 dead pigs on the sea. You'd go out and look, wouldn't you? You'd all have your telephones out there taking pictures and sending them everywhere. This is pretty, uh, this is pretty usual. People want to see a good pig thing. So they rush out to see the pigs floating on the water, and what do they find? They find the man sitting, and Luke records it, sitting at the feet of Jesus fully clothed and in his right mind. How did this happen? He encountered Jesus in a meaningful way. The answer to the difficulties of life is to encounter Jesus in a meaningful way. Can I just tell you a little personal thing that happened to me several years ago? Uh, You've heard me talk about my father, the pastor. My father suffered from Alzheimer's for the last 13 years of his life. For the last number of years, he didn't even know who we were, didn't know we were in the room, never acknowledged us when we came across the country to visit him. He just didn't know us. Alzheimer's is a terrible disease. It took his mind and finally took his life. Linda and I were in Israel when my father died. We were staying in a hotel in Nazareth, the boyhood home of Jesus. My brother, who was a pastor, called me and he said, I have some bad news. Dad died this morning. Well, we knew we had to go back home, and we were coming to the end of our tour to Israel with other folks, and I always had back to the Bible staff with me so they could take care of getting everyone back. We knew we had to make arrangements to change our flight and, and fly home immediately. But I had to tell the people in our group 
that we were leaving. I got up that morning, and we always record every teaching I do in the Holy Land, and then we air it on radio, and that's how people know about what we do and go with us. So I had to record on the top of the Mount of Beatitudes that day. From Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. So I did my presentation on the top of the Mount of Beatitudes. And then, when I finished, I said to them, Now I want you to turn and look to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they turned around and I said, I have to share with you that I got a phone call this morning that my father, who suffered from Alzheimer's for 13 years, died. And Linda and I have to go home. I said, but the reason I want you to see the other side of the Sea of Galilee is there's a story in Mark chapter 5 about a man who was possessed of demons and encountered Jesus in a personal way. And when the people came out to find this man, they found him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And I said, For the first time in 13 years, this morning, my father is sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed and in his right mind. What a difference, what a difference it makes to have Jesus in your life instead of the demons. This man's life was changed completely. But that's the usual thing you expect when you encounter Jesus. There's something else usual about this passage. Look at verse 16. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. They had a story to tell. I mean, who doesn't like a good pig story? So they had stories to tell. They had eyewitness accounts of these demons being in the pigs, and they were going to tell everyone. Verse 17, they began to implore him, Jesus, to leave their region. You say, my, that's unusual. Jesus does this wonderful thing for the man, and everybody else in the town wants him to go. No, that's not unusual. That's very usual. Some of you were saved, and you were the first person or perhaps the only person in your family to come to Christ as Savior. For most of you, your family was not all that happy about that. When people make this connection with Jesus, quite often the people around them would be just as happy if Jesus would leave them alone. That's usual, and that's exactly what happens here. They implore Jesus, leave us Just leave us alone. That's a pretty usual response to an encounter with Jesus. Well, verse 18 is almost the end of the story. Look what it says. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus, to go back to the normal side of the Sea of Galilee, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. That's pretty usual, isn't it? I mean, Jesus changes your life. The first thing you want to do is go with him. This man had been living in caves. He'd been cutting himself. 
Now he's in his right mind. He's fully clothed. He says, Jesus, let me go with you. I will follow you anywhere. I will be your disciple anywhere on the face of the earth. I will go with you. That's usual when a person trusts Christ as Savior. But do you see Jesus' response in verse 19? He did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus' response to the man was, no, come on, not come with me and travel the world with me. His response to the man was, go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. When Isaiah was asked of the Lord, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. And Isaiah heard the Lord say, Go back to this people and tell them about me. Now listen. In this vast congregation today, there are people in this room whom God will call to go to some foreign, distant land to serve him. Right here among you. Because all of us as believers are called either to go or to send. And God's going to call some of you to go. But the vast majority of you, he is going to call to stay. But not just to stay in your pew. He's calling you to go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. You know the easiest way to witness for the Lord Not memorize four spiritual laws or the Romans road or one of the other ways we often think of evangelism. The easiest thing for you to do to share Christ to others is simply tell your story. And it's your story. Who can argue with your story? Just tell them what the Lord has done for you. And when you do, expect the unusual to become usual in their lives as well. So what about you tonight? Do you like the unusual side of the story, or do you like the usual side? Now, there's something attractive about both sides of the story. But the bottom line is this. God calls most of us just to go home and tell our friends what the Lord has done for us. What he doesn't call us to do is go back to the caves and live therein. So you got somebody in your family needs to know your story? Somebody at work needs to hear the story? Some of your friends at school who need to hear the story? It's not a story. It's your story. Just tell them your story and let God take care of the rest. Would you let me pray for you as I close? And would you allow God to put in your mind's eye a person, family member, friend, neighbor, someone who needs to hear your story? And as God does that, would you follow up on what I spoke about this morning and make a commitment to the Lord to go home and tell that friend, friend, 
what the Lord has done for you. Let me pray with you. Father, again, accept our thanks for your word. Because it is in your word that we learn of life eternal. Is it in your word that we learn of your great love for us? It is in your word that we learn that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place. To pay the penalty for our sin. To do all that God required to pay the penalty for sin so that we might have eternal life in him. And when that happens in our lives, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we are changed forever, help us to see, Lord, that the rest of life is simple. All we have to do is go home and tell our friends what the Lord has done for us. Lord, place on our mind's eye tonight someone, a person, a family, an associate, friend, who needs to hear the greatest story ever told, the story that Jesus can change their life just the way he changed ours. Give us the boldness, Lord, not to have all the answers, but to just tell our friends what Jesus did for us. Bless these, your dear people, Father, as they are your lights in this community. And accept our thanks for letting us sit at your feet, fully clothed, and in our right mind. For it's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.